Good morning, family. Do you think God can change this nation? I believe he can. I know he has to. We have no we have no we we have no other hope other than God doing something. My wife um showed me a short it was Snapchat video and it was a young mother talking to her baby and saying, "You know, I let you live. I didn't kill you." And I thought, didn't kill her. What a what a wonderful thing she did. She didn't kill her baby. And, uh, <clears throat> but just uh, the horror of that kind of mentality, it just, it, and it swept our country. This last, um, well, just uh, Friday, um, our state legislators passed a bill to allow for abortion up until birth. Up until birth. And uh, Governor Newsom just will s- has to sign it. He said he will. And uh, we in California will do what few countries in the world, a handful of countries in the world, allow. And that is to take a child's life up till birth. And, and the fact is the mother, whether or n- not she chooses to uh, abort her baby will deliver the baby. The baby's still delivered. It's just whether the baby's delivered dead or alive. It's not like she's not going to have the baby. She's choosing to have a dead baby instead of a live baby. And, uh, and you say, well, Pastor, why are you even bringing that up? It's, that's the kind of horrifying message. That doesn't sound like the good news. Well, I want to bring in the good news. I, I think sometimes we have to hear the bad news before we can understand the good news or value the good news. And we're in a place in our nation that's horrible. There's a reason, though. There's a good news reason that California is doing that. And the good news is because the Supreme Court, it looks like overturning Roe v. Wade which doesn't stop abortion. It just gives the power back to the states, and this California is wanting to make sure that abortion is not only legal, but paid for by the taxpayers. And not only the taxpayers of those who are having abortions in California, but anybody in the country that wants to come to California and have an abortion, the taxpayers will pay for that abortion. We're looking at some horrible things. But the reason they're doing it is a good reason. The reason they're doing it is because the Supreme Court, it looks like, is overturning Roe v. Wade. That's a good thing. And, um, and, and we need to pray, and I hope you're still praying, you would be praying for the Supreme Court. They've been under tremendous pressure. Um, there's been uh, an attempt to really scare them into changing their vote protests outside their homes. Um, And so it's who is going to, you know, is anyone going to give in to that? And uh, we pray that they'll stand strong. I I bring that particular thing up because of something that happened about 12 years ago. 
About 12 years ago, a group of prayer ministries had gotten together and, uh, and decided we need to pray for a change in our Supreme Court. And what they did is they decided to do 24-hour prayer at the Supreme Court. That they would trade off, different groups would go, and every day for years, in fact, it's still going on, every day for 12 years, there would be people there at the Supreme Court praying that God would change our Supreme Court, to give us a Supreme Court that um, what would be more toward life and it would lean toward life and that God would, would change that evil that has been part of our, our, our narrative as a nation and cause, uh, we don't know all the, all the pain that uh, this has caused. This, the sin causes judgment, it causes pain, it causes breakdown. I mean, our, uh, the, the callousness toward life that a mother would look at her baby and say, you're just lucky I didn't, I didn't kill you. That kind of callousness was not something that was part of our culture 50 years ago, 60 years ago. That has changed. And, um, and we have become more callous toward life. And, and so the prayer went on. 20, and some major things had to happen. If you look at the political landscape of what was taking place, Supreme Court judges were, were voted in, but you had to have um, at least 10 senators on the opposite side to okay your Supreme Court justice. And, and for many years, Roe v. Wade was uh, an issue, and if, a, if they thought a Supreme Court just, justice would, um, you know, not, would overturn or possibly then the Democratic Party coalesced together and not one person would vote for that Supreme Court. They could not, never get a Supreme Court justice that they were confident was going to be pro-life. That was very difficult because they had to have. Well, some things had to change for that to happen. And one of the things that had to change was the way in which that happened, that ability to... Um, to keep, um, you know, with with a um, with a small, uh, you know, the the minority party to be able to keep the majority party from picking, in that kind of way, uh, had to change, and it did. The Democrats decided they were going to get rid of the filibuster on all judges, all federal judgeships, so that they could. They could bypass the Republicans getting involved, and so they did that. Now, this isn't a Democrat-Republican thing. This is just about the re abortion thing, and this is the history. And so what happened was they got rid of the filibuster for all the judges, and they said except for the Supreme Court judges, but they opened the door. And then when the opportunity came in the right place, the right president was in the right place, to appoint Supreme Court justices that would go back to the Constitution. And, and that's really what it was about. Because the issue is really the Constitution. The Constitution can be changed. It has been. But it just can't be changed on a whim.
And so there was a miracle. And those people who have spent, you know, so much time at the courthouse praying and beseeching God for something that would happen miraculously, it has happened. And uh, I'm not saying all the Supreme Court justices that were picked are perfect in, in any way and all that. I'm not saying it was perfectly done. But it looks like now we at least have something to face off against just um, free abortions in some states. And so prayer needs to make, that there's a light there in all of that. And that's the, I'm, we're looking for light. We're looking for those moments that show that maybe God has been hearing our prayer in these things. Today I want to take us to um, the book of Ezekiel. And let me give you the background. We're going to be in chapter 22. Excuse me. And in chapter 22, chapter 12 to chapter 22 is this prophet Ezekiel, who, by the way, was taken captive into Babylon. And he himself was um, waiting. All Jerusalem was not there. Jerusalem is still in sin. And God gives him this prophetic word about the nation at that point, what was left of the nation and in, in Jerusalem. And from chapter 12 to chapter 22, he's just listing the sins of the people. Listing the sins of the, the, the tribe of Judah, the, the nation of Israel, at that point what was left. And one after another, just bring him, and how God has been incredibly patient, waiting hundreds of years there has been this continual process of the the, the um, of sin in the nation, and so he speaks out and and prophesies as God gives him. And the word the scripture says in verse twenty three, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, "Son of man, say to her that's Judah, the the tribe you know the area in Judah, that's Jerusalem." area, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Now, what, what he's talking about is the prophets, but we can translate this into modern day. This the, 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 the prophets of that day are the pre- preachers and pastors of today. And what they were doing, they were stealing from the people. They were, they, were, they were prophesying false prophecy when God hasn't spoken. They were not saying the things. They were tickling the ears of the hearers. That, that's what they were doing. They were, they were speaking, uh, as the Bible says in the last day, that there'll be those who will tickle the ears of the hearers. They're, they're only going to speak those things that make people feel just, um, you know, just a positive message. Now, now listen, I, I believe the gospel is a positive message, message. But I believe that there's another side, a truth, that sometimes doesn't always feel good. Sometimes the word of God is correcting. And sometimes it's disciplining. And, um, and it, the good thing is, it's not a steady flow of that all the time. 
but there's seasons when God says, we've got to correct things. And this is what's happening here. God is speaking very firmly because there is extreme danger around the corner coming. And so he says, um, there's a conspiracy of the prophets in verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. There's a syncretism that's going on. There's a they're, 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 they're not standing for holy things. They have brought together unholy things and holy things. I, I think COVID really was an eye-opener, at least for me. Um, I didn't realize there were so many progressive churches in our land. I didn't realize that there were so many churches that had gotten so into the world that they were not preaching the whole counsel of God. In fact, they have refused to. When I just shared at the beginning about abortion, there are churches today that they consider that a political issue and they won't touch it. No, it's a biblical issue. It's a, it's a righteousness, it's a holiness issue. And I know it oftentimes, you bring up certain things and it offends people. I've had people walk out on those kinds of things because it has offended them. And, it's, uh, and this is what I say. I, I, I believe if you teach God's word, people will be offended. I do not believe it's ever to be my intent to inf- offend. That's not my intent. My intent is to teach God's word as is. And when you teach God's word as is, people do get offended. And, and I know we've lost, people have left because of that in, in this, but I also know that there are people who have come here simply because their eyes, have, their, their heart wants truth. They want truth above everything else. And, uh, and so, but, but this is the problem that was caused in, in, in Israel. And it says, um, it says her, her priests had violated my law, profaned my holy things. They have not dis- distinguished between holy and unholy, nor have they made known the differences between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. So they have, they have gotten away from the holy things of God. Um, the, the, the Sabbaths were the celebration times with the Lord. They've gotten away from that. And... Um, it says, her princes in her midst are like wolves. Now, these are the political people. He says, they're like wolves tearing the prey to shred blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. And they were working together, the priests and the princes and the political leaders. And it says, her prophets blast, blasted them with untempered mortar, seeing false vision, divine light, divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, um, oppressions committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed a stranger. And then God says this very famous verse. So I sought for a man. And th- this, this reveals the heart of God. I sought for a man. 
God is certain. See, this is not a God who's saying, you have sinned, you know, judgment is coming, and I'm so happy about that. That's not the, 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 the Lord does not take pleasure when judgment and justice has to be met out at the, you know, expense of those who've lived in, in sin and caused it. He doesn't take pleasure in it. He looks for someone. He's searching, the, the scripture says. There, there are a couple times in scripture the Bible says God is searching. One of the things he searched for is someone who will worship him in spirit and in truth, it tells us in John 4. But here he was searching for someone to stand in the gap. What's the gap? Well, the walls around a city, obviously it was important that those walls were stable and unpenetrable. The enemy could easily come if there was an opening or a gap in the wall. And God is saying there's a gap in the wall. The gap in the wall is the unholiness of the people. It's the sin that is in the nation. And that gap allows for the enemy to come. And here's the problem. There's an enemy waiting to come in and completely destroy them. The nation of Babylon is poised to come and attack them and destroy them. And if the gap is not, now this isn't a physical gap in the wall. I don't believe that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual gap that makes a physical gap. It's a spiritual gap that opens the door that every demonic, you know, uh, every attack, everything that could come against us comes against us because we've allowed this gap in our, in, in our midst. And so he says, I sought for a man who will uh, make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. Now, th- when he says the land, that's an important concept, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but I just want you to recall that, that he makes mention there. That I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Now, he would destroy, they, they would be destroyed by the Babylonian Empire, but God says it's his hand. He uses the nations to destroy a nation that had completely, God speaks about Israel at this point as if they are an adulterous wife who has just gone from man, from man to man to man to man in total rebellion. And when he had loved her and, and, and drawn her in and brought her in, that every time they keep going to these false gods and worshiping them, he uh, uh, relates it on an emotional level so we could understand what it would be like to have a spouse who would do that without repentance and continue to do that no matter what, no matter what the, the, the desire, no matter what the, the pain it caused. And so he says, he says, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Because there was no one to stand in the gap. It wasn't the reason. The real reason was all their sin, but he could not find someone, someone to plead with God like Abraham attempted to do for for Sodom, but failed to go far enough. But But God was willing 
to withhold judgment and possibly bring in a change, a revival, a move, if there were someone that would stand in the gap. That judgment is just a way of eliminating the pain and the suffering that is caused by sin. And the justification of God. In 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a portion that you would be reminded of Many of you, because we, uh, if, if you've been through this portion of scripture, you, you always stop there. And it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I, um, I did a search on this just to see um, what you know? What I'd find? I just did a Google search and just to see what I'd find on this text real quickly. And what I found was a lot of preachers saying this is one of the most misunderstood portion of scripture, and uh, and that this portion of scripture is not for us in America. That this portion of scripture is actually just for Israel. And. And you could pretty much say that just about every promise in the Bible. You know, when, when Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, he said it to a guy named Nicodemus. Now, if you use that logic, you would say, well, only Nicodemus needed to be born again. That isn't for the rest of us. I do understand that this was particularly about a promise that God had made to the children of Israel and he spoke to that. But the principle has been true and has been true for our nation actually since its start. Do you know that um, we have had multiple revivals, two very large ones. And, and, and the, the move of God that transformed um, America, two, two great awakenings did that. But there had been smaller ones that were, I mean, they weren't small, they were big, but they were small in comparison to the first and second great awakenings that happened in the mid, you know, 1700s, the first one started. But we've had them throughout the generation. In fact, there has been small moves of God about every 25 years. And just we've seen, you know, these happen. The last one that um, was uh, the, the Jesus movement, about every 25 years, but something has happened since then. There has not been, I believe, a real small, like a revival um, since then. So we're in a dearth of 45 years of, of not having a move of God and that kind of revival. And I, I think that we need to, be aware of that because I believe we are overdue. I believe we're overdue for something powerful, something supernatural, something that, that only God can do. Because God is a God of revival. He's, a, he's, he's, he's so powerful. I was reading the story from Dr. Edwin Orr's book on revival that in the before the Great Awakening, 
great move of God, one of the great moves of God. Our country had really gone, I mean, we're talking, you know, we always think of our country as always being a Christian nation. Folks, that's not true. And there, there have been times through our nation's history that we had really fallen away from God. We had gotten into sin. I mean, it seems to continually progress, but we were, in fact, there was a, a movement at Harvard University. It's very interesting. Harvard, um, it had gotten to the place that they, in all of the, the entire um, um, University of Harvard, there were only two Christians. And, uh, and we're talking about the early 1700s. I mean, this was a while back. And, um, and, and so there became prayer. In fact, the two Christians <laughs> were part of the prayer movement, but other churches were, were praying for a revival in our nation. And there became a great revival. In fact, one of the great moves of God in the Great Awakening happened at Harvard University. Um, today, I mean, say things are bad, um, actually Harvard University has more Christians than they did back then. And you go, well, well, recently um, I heard about um, a, um, a professor at Harvard University, Christian, spirit-filled, on fire for Jesus, um, professor at Harvard University, and she's she's a she's a law professor, and she uh, started um, had a class. She she wanted to teach a class, and it was Christianity. It was Christianity in the law or the Bible in the law. I don't know if I got the exact title, but it was about Christianity and Christian evangelical Christianity and the law, and she got more. She got five times more students signing up for that class than the class held. And out of that has come a prayer movement in the university. And there are students today at at, um, Harvard University that get up every day and go and walk around the school and pray for revival. She says Harvard is poised for a revival. If Harvard gets a revival, we got a revival, right? Um, but, but the point being that this principle works, whether it's Israel or any nation that calls where, where there is true repentance. And I want to talk about that just clear, quickly, but he says, let's take a look at it. Who is he speaking to? Well, he says, my people. It's not everybody. We're not expecting the whole nation to fall on its knees and pray. That'd be wonderful, kind of a Nineveh experience, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is the people who need to to go through this process are his people. That means us. He says, if my people, so it's people who are called by his name. He says, "What, what must they do? Well, first of all, they must humble themselves. Humility. It take, last week we talked about how it took, um, it took the children of Israel seven years of oppression before they humbled themselves and prayed and confessed their sin. And in fact, they didn't even do that first. They just were complaining about how life was. 
And there are a lot of Christians just complaining about life. You know, they're just complaining about what's going on in the political world or what's going on in their, you know, when they get to the gas tank and, you know, try to fill up their, their, their car or, or, you know, whatever kind of is uncomfortable for us, then we complain. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, there's too much uh, crime in the city, and especially if it happens at your house or to your car or whatever. Then people start, you know, they're riled up about those things. But God was saying that's not the problem. The problem is much deeper. There's a core that has to be transformed, and that core has to do with the people who will be holy before God, that will humble themselves and say, I'm still, I'm part of the problem. Folks, the church really has been part of the problem. The church has ignored things and sin in our country and in our own lives. There are too many people living like the world and naming the name of Jesus. And we're supposed to be different. I'm thankful for a merciful God. I'm thankful for a God who forgives. But I do not believe in a God who doesn't care. He does care. He cares about our life and our holiness. He cares if we are not living righteous before God. We'll never get to heaven because of our righteousness, but he wants us holy. He filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we would be more like him, not different. The, the, the move of God is always, listen, is always countercultural. And there is an attempt among the church in, in some areas, some arenas, is an attempt to get closer to be like the, the, the world in order to win it. It's never caused revival. That kind of, we just want to be more like the world and accept the things that the world accepts has never caused revival. It's always been countercultural. It's always been. You know, there were the, the, the last movement of God, the, the Jesus movement of God, there was a call to holiness in that movement. Now, they were attacked by those who, the, the church, the, the um, traditional church, because they allowed rock and roll music in the church. But that rock and roll music were calling people to holiness, that, that rock and roll music was calling people to follow Christ with all of their heart and to, and to, and to uh, completely sell out to Jesus in their life. It was, it was a counterculture movement, and it always has been. Whenever God moves, it's not to go with the world. It's always contrary to the world's way. And so it takes a humility and a willingness to pray a willingness to pray. And, and, and the prayers have to be, well, they need to come from everyone, every believer. You know, the moment you receive Christ, the moment you receive Christ, you were given a, a privileged position with God. That moment you said yes to Jesus, you had the kind of access to the throne of God that Old Testament saints could only dream of. We don't understand the privilege that comes in having Christ in our life. And because of that, God hears you. Now, I know there's 
issues of growing, and sometimes we pray for things that God doesn't answer. A lot of times the Bible says it's so that we can consume it upon our own lusts, and we have not matured and grown into understanding the heart and nature of God, but you still have a privileged position before God. And because of that, you need to take advantage of it. We're wasting too too many opportunities. And I do not believe that the church in America or anywhere in mass are praying like the kind of prayer that he's talking about. This kind of prayer causes people to get passionate about the things of God and the breakthrough in our nation. It's a kind of prayer that, that is contagious, that people who are praying that kind of prayer are inviting others to pray with them. Pray with me. Pray with us. Let's all join in in consistent bombardment of heaven for our nation. Because there's no other way. Today, um, or tomorrow, we celebrate Memorial Day. And I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for those who have laid down their life so that we could have the freedoms that we have. I, I don't think that many of them laid down their lives for some of the things that are going on in our nation right now. But... We have freedom today that we do have because of that, because of people like that, because of some of you who are in this room who have given yourself, that you yourself put yourself in that kind of position. Your life could have been taken. You served our nation, and we applaud you and, uh, and are grateful for your service. There's another kind of service, too, I think we ought to celebrate, and that is the martyrs who have gone before us so that the gospel could be proclaimed and shared and those who have died before us because they wanted the word of God to go freely. The fact that we have a Bible because a guy named Tyndale was adamant about getting the Bible translated into the language of the people and suffered a martyr's death, crucified, burnt at the stake for that. Because, folks... Um, sometimes it takes more than just being comfortable to make a change. And this call is a call that, that Jesus has given us. It's a, it's a call to humility. It's a call to pray. It's a call to seek his face. And what is that? Well, I, th- there's another way to seek God, and it's it's seeking the hand of God. If you seek the hand of God, you're, you're seeking that God will do something. To seek the face of God is to seek, to, you know, what is it face to face? That's what Moses had. He had a face to face. It's what God offers to us. It's a relationship with him. It's a communication with God. It's a seeking of his pleasure. If someone face-to-face, it's completely, the, the opposite of that is them turning their back. And God offers face-to-face. Sometimes we turn our back on God when he's offered relationship with us and intimacy with us. 
And he says, if they'll seek my faith, they'll seek my, my pleasure, they'll seek me. So what's the promise? Well, before the promise, there's this one last thing. Can't skip it. Turn from their wicked ways. What is this? This is repentance. Repentance. It is repentance. It is turning from our sin. This is individually a, a call to do a val- look in the mirror with the Holy Spirit present, asking God, God, reveal me to me. I, I, need, I need God to reveal himself, but he al- I also need God to reveal me to me. I need to, I need to see who I really am. Not, not to put me in a place of condemnation, but put me in a place where I can have change happen in my life so that I can truly repent. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, allowing God to work in my life to make tra- transformation in my life. But there's another aspect of this journey of prayer that causes change, if we're going to change. It, and it has to do with a, an expansion of repentance. Um, it's, simply called, it's simply called identification repentance. Identific- have you heard of that before? Identification repentance. Identification repentance means a willingness to identify ourselves with the sins of a group of people. And says, well, if I didn't sin, I'm not repentant. It's not my sin. Well, there are times when, there are times when we can actually expand the forgiveness of God beyond ourselves by identifying, putting ourselves in the group that needs it. And I, I, I'll show you scripture. Daniel, well, in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 2, as uh, they're, they're, they're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, there's a time now for them to call upon God. And it says, and those Israelites, Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. And now it was just the Jews getting aside from the Gentiles at this point. And they stood and they confessed their sins and iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, their fathers aren't there. Their fathers are gone. Their fathers are dead. And when we talk about fathers, that's generational. The fathers. And now they're confessing not only their sin, but they're confessing the sin of the group, the nation. And they're saying, God, forgive us for what has happened. Somewhere along the line, God lifted his presence and his blessing from the land. From the land. It, it says there in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 7 that what is the promise is he will hear, he will forgive their sins, and he will heal their land. I was on a property this last week that the, 
that one that that uh, the family that was living there, um, they were doing. There was all kind of satanic stuff in the house, in the property. Now new owners are going to take are taking over, and so we went and prayed, and we went to the to the, to the property, and we did what Abraham did. The promise and, 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 he, and what God told the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, we walked the land. Because he had told them that every sole, you know, sole of your foot, you know, as it, it passes, that land will be yours. And so we establish, here's what, what has happened. In, I, can't, I, can't, I can't imagine the presence of God was on that land when they were worshiping the devil and sinning in all manner of sin that was going on in that household. So, we invite God back. And so, we walk the land, and we pray, and then I prayed this prayer. Lord, forgive us for anything that has happened on this property. And then I allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to mind. Your name being used in vain. The, the, you know, the, the corruption of, of worshiping false gods. The idolatry. The idolatry. The sexual sin. And just as the Holy Spirit. I might have missed some. I might not have known all, all the things. Or I might have even confessed something that actually didn't happen. But I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm confessing because, not because I did that. Because it was done on the land. And I want the land to be healed. I want God's presence to come back. That practice, I have done, we have done that, our family has done that at every, every place we've lived. We go and that's the first thing we do. We invite Jesus. We confess there's been sin on this land. We ask you, Lord, to cleanse this land. Because the land needs healing. And the healing of the land is the presence of God on that piece of property again. That presence of God, the, the manifest presence of God. People walk in our house, as many of you have the same experience. People walk in and go, there's so much peace here. I'm talking many, many times where we had a you know electrician walk in or somebody setting up our you know our tv system or whatever it is they walk in and we've had because of that we've had so many opportunities to share jesus with them says well what you're sensing is the lord is here the presence of jesus is here and we share testimony and are able to witness and lead people to christ even as a result of that because we've invited the presence of god listen I invite the presence of God not just at my house. I invite the presence of God in my neighborhood. I, I think we need to take our neighborhoods back. And I don't think that you can take the neighborhoods back unless there's someone standing in the gap. And so, on a regular basis, I suggest you go for a walk. Go for a walk. Some of us need walks. It's a good excuse to, to maybe do some uh, walking and do some praying. And you walk through the neighborhood and you just lift up the neighbors and you just pray. And you let the Holy Spirit lead you and you take ground 
I'm telling you, it'll change your neighborhood. I don't have time to go into stories, but we have stories, stories, not just me, but people in this church, stories of neighborhood transformation simply because. I remember driving up to John Dawson's house in, um, in East LA, in one of the most oppressed you know, communities anywhere. And I remember we, it was the first time and we had a map and we ended up driving into the, um, the, this one, you know, we turned into the neighborhood where his house would be and it was like an oasis in this middle of, I mean, all the houses around there just, you could tell they're just very oppressed. I mean, just even, you know, even the, the, the yards and the houses and everything else. And you walked in and there were these beautiful, well-painted houses with, with um, you know, their, their, their beautiful grass and, that, and it was like, what is this? Like, is this the rich people? <laughs> the rich people like in the middle of the ghetto? <laughs> no, it was a community of people that one by one were one to Jesus and li- their lives were changed and everything around them changed. And you, would go, you went in and there was about, I don't know, 12 or 15 homes and it was all different. They were surrounded, there were still gangs, there were still all of that, but in that neighborhood, it was transformed because a family in there understood the principle and prayed and sought the Lord and made a difference in the community. I, in Daniel 9, 16, it says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to those around us. Daniel, he's a totally righteous guy. I mean, this is a holy, holy man who has served God. And how does he pray? Forgive us for our sin. He identifies with the sin. You know, there's a lot of things that need to be repented of that I have never done but I have a privileged place with God, and so do you. And if we're going to make a difference, there's a great phrase in the story of Paul as they were being, their their ship was crashed, and they were going into, um, you know, it was being, being, coming to the place where they could all die. And the angel of the Lord comes to Paul. And, uh, and so, they survived the night, but the, the, peop, the um, soldiers who are kind of overseeing them are thinking there's a bunch of prisoners on here. We better kill them before we go, and then we'll go in. And God had spoken to Paul, and he said this. He says, he, he says for, for there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you, listen to this, all those who sail with you. There were 276 men. Because of Paul, 
276 men's lives were saved, were rescued. Because this man of prayer How many of you are intending to go to heaven? If you're saved, if you've accepted Christ, you have a guarantee. It's the Holy Spirit. You're, it's settled. That's what it is for the Christian. It's settled. I, I don't have to worry about my future. I know where my future is. I know where I'm going. There's, I have that settled in my heart. But I'm not sure about everybody else. Charles, I'm going to end with this. Charles Spurgeon said this. Listen to these words. I think I might read it twice. He says, if sinners are damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Charles had it right. He had it right. How many will take the challenge to stand in the gap? Can I have a response? Yeah. Let us stand in the gap, folks. We're a small segment of the body of Christ, but we have to do our part. We have to call upon a God who only can make a difference, who only can change. I'm not leaving California unless Lord knocks me on the head, I mean really hard. And I know there are people feeling like they, they got to get out of this place. California's a mess. Agreed. I'm not judging anybody. But until the Lord would move me, I believe I need to stand in the gap for this, this state. I do not believe California's beyond revival. I believe the devil hates what has already happened in California. You know of the revivals I talked about? Three of them started in California. And almost, maybe a fourth, but three of them started in California. Billy Graham got his start in California. The Azusa Street Revival, one of the greatest revivals in all of history, still going on. Still, the, the, the largest segment of the Christian community is among, among Pentecostal believers. It is the largest and the fastest growing in the world today. It started in California. The Jesus Movement revival started at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Folks, um, and the Vineyard Movement. I believe there is, you know, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't put it in the same category of size, but there was a move of God. California. Why do you think the devil hates California? Why do you think he's working so hard in California? Why do you think we need more believers who are praying and believing for a revival in California? Because I believe the God who can cause the Red Sea to split, who can raise the dead, 
can raise California to life too. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God. We thank you. We praise you. Yeah, you know, if you want to just bring clap to the Lord, he is able. We praise you, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord. There is nothing impossible. Lord, we just want to declare your name across this land and across, Lord, and, and, and let it start in our households, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace. And Lord God, let it spread as, Lord God, it can only spread through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, and that you, Lord, would be glorified and honored in every way. That, Lord, I ask for this church, Lord, this is, we, we cannot speak for everyone. But we can say for the cornerstone, we will be a church that will stand in the gap. We will be a church that will lift up our voices to a a holy God who will declare humbly, Lord, and in a a heart of repentance, Lord, to bring life, Lord, to that which is dead. I pray that you would help us to be that light in, Lord, more extraordinary ways, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with us? Let's declare the name of Jesus. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Let's worship the name of Jesus. And by the way, at the end of service, from now on, anytime you want prayer, the prayer room's open and there are people there to pray with you. So just feel free to do that if you have a need to go to the prayer room. But let's lift and close our, our hearts and praise to the Lord. Go ahead. Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. And Jesus. 